When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. As I walked out tonight in the Mystic Garden, the wounded flowers were dangling from the vines. I was passing by Jan Cool and Crystal Fountain. Someone hit me from behind. Ain't talking, just walking. Through this weary, weary world of woe. Heart burning, still yearning. No on earth will ever know. They say prayer has the power to help, so pray from the mother. In the human heart, an evil spirit can dwell. I'm trying to love my neighbor and do good unto others. But, oh, mother, things ain't going well. Ain't talking, just walking. I'll burn that bridge before you can cross. Heart burning, still yearning. There'll be no mercy for you once you've lost. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about the dark, ominous, moody final but maybe hopeful uh final song from uh 2006's modern times ain't talking is comic book writer and artist ron randall hi ron hi nice to nice to talk to you rob it's nice to talk to you uh this was something sort of funny the the way this sort of came about was that uh, i think maybe over a year ago or something uh you had sent a tweet out Uh, i think you uh, sent it out to gabriel hardman and you had this picture, I believe, of, uh, of, of Dylan's Good As I've Been To You album on yes. vinyl, uh-huh. I think. And you had said something like, you know, hey, Gabriel, are you and I the only ones that like this record? And I was like, <laughs> what? Wait a minute. You know, I didn't know that either one of you were Dylan fans. And so I, of course, horned in on the conversation. And I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. I, you know, look at, the, look at the handle of this account. This, of course, I love yeah. this record. So uh, I reached out to you and to Gabriel. Now, of course, in that time, I've had Gabriel on the show and then thanks to our mutual friends the sutherlands right. uh, they, they they played a little bit of matchmaker and they got us together so now we're here together and i'm super excited to talk to you about this now of course before we get to the song we have to talk about how you became a dylan fan and everyone knows from repeated uh, conversations i've had on the show that uh, that my fandom for bob dylan started while i was attending the joe kubert school an institution with which you are familiar a little bit. I'm a little familiar. I have a I have a nodding acquaintance with it. I was a, uh, I was in the second graduating class from the Cubit School. Very nice. Represent. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you want to your, your first question is how did I how did I sort of uh, get indoctrinated into Yeah, yeah. Into well, the it's a good word for it. Yeah. How did you become a fan? <laughs> well, actually, if, if it's okay, before we do that, just a, a minor. I don't know if it's a digression or just to just to give a little context to that the story you told about uh, Gabriel and I having that inter- interaction on, on Twitter. Um, he had, he had posted an, uh, uh, something about an album, a Leonard Cohen album that he'd acquired called the future, which uh, I love, but he found it on vinyl. I just wrote him, Oh, great score. I would like to get that on vinyl too. So I, I felt I kind of owed something to Gabe in a way. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and the, I, I knew that he was a Dylan fan also because he did a, um, he did a graphic novel called The Invisible Republic, which is a right, brilliant, right. brilliant work. And the, um, the he he borrows from the um, uh, Arthur McBride 
uh, ballad, the, the old right. English Arthur right. McBride, which, of course, Dylan covers on Good As I've Been To You. So I knew that Gabe was going to be into this album, and I didn't know anybody else that would be because, uh, you know, it's certainly not one of the ones that looms largest in Dylan's can or anything like that. And I was always, so I just, you know, I just basically knew that he would appreciate that. And I thought this is where I can <laughs> maybe have something on vinyl that Gabe doesn't have. So I was trying to, you know, <laughs> level the field there. Um, anyway, so that was, uh, and yeah, the Sutherlands are these just great connectors, aren't they? I mean, they, they've, they've, um, they've just been a joy to get to know over the, the years. And they're such good fans of so many things. I want to say good fans. I mean, they're, they're genuinely enthusiastic and supportive and they just love to, you know, turn people on to other people that are doing interesting things and stuff. They so, are, yeah, they are marvelous great. people, no doubt. Yeah. So anyway, then to, to answer your, your original first question. So I'm, I'm a child of the, the 60s, basically. I, I was born in 56. Uh, so when Dylan was having his, I guess, his initial Haiti, I was still a little lad, too, too young for that. Um, but when I was um, in my early teen years, I guess. And I was listening to what was on the radio at the time. And that was, you know, I don't know, what was that? Cause Stills National Young in Chicago and stuff like that. And, but, uh, in, it was in 72 when George Harrison released the concert for Bangladesh album and everybody loved the Beatles and stuff. And, uh, so I was listening to that album with some friends and, um, uh, I can remember so clearly, you know, George says, I'd like to do, I'd like to introduce a good friend of us all, Mr. Bob Dylan. And then, the crowd goes wild. And I said, oh, Bob Dylan. I know I've heard that name before. Um, I'm <laughs> sure on the radio once or twice I'd heard back in the 60s, even out here in Portland, Oregon, um, in the ratty old, you know, tinny AM radios, I probably heard, you know, Like Your Rolling Stone and, and a few things like that. But I hadn't really listened to Bob Dylan. He wasn't on my radar at all. And I thought, well, this is this. I mean, the way the crowd was reacting, I said, this is going to be this would be pretty cool because, you know, he, he had people on there. You know, Harrison had done his great stuff. And, you know, there was a lot of great musicians in that concert. I don't know. This guy's getting a big response. And then you hear this this little guitarist from anything and this this reedy little voice, you know, no, I think he started. No, he started off with, oh, have you been my blood son? And I thought, is this a joke? You know, I, I thought this is ridiculous. He sounds foolish. He sounds silly. You know, but uh, and, but I and I so that that was my that was my initial response. I'm I'm being perfectly honest with you, right? But then I said there must be something going on here because the way the audience reacted to him and stuff. And then I all I had to do then was listen to the song, and it was just mind blowing. You know, I'd never heard anything like that. And you know, Dylan's voice is an acquired taste. There's, <laughs> there's no way around that. But it's like once you get it then it's then it's absolutely absolutely unique and irreplaceable and an absolute treasure and um uh so i after my initial huh then i just <laughs> fell i just fell super hard and uh i knew i had to go back um I, I, and my my inclination as a as a creator and a person creative uh, curious about the creative process when i discover something I tend to try to dig back and go back to the beginnings of it uh, with comic books. When I found out that I loved science fiction comic books, I dug back and found like the early EC comic books um, by a lot of people that became my favorite writers and, and particularly artists, uh, Wally Wood and Al Williamson. And going back to Al Williamson, well, where did he come from? It was Alex Raymond and Flash Gordon. So all of a sudden, I'm going back and reading things from the 1932 or something like that. So... Similarly with 
Dylan, when I, when I said, what's this guy all about? I went back and got the first albums. Um, so even though I'm, I'm getting in a little late in the game, I was coming in, but I, did, I was, <laughs> I'd gone back in time compared to everybody else I was in high school with, or at least most <laughs> of the people I was in high school. And I'm listening to this guy who is, you know, what cool five or six years earlier, but you know, by everybody else, not everybody, but a lot of people had gone on from that. Um, so, uh, so that was my intro, my, my intro to the Bob, I guess I'd say. And, you know, <laughs> I was, I was sort of right, like between, you know, his, his, I guess you'd say his first golden era back there in the mid sixties. And then the resurgence that came with, um, um, blood on the tracks. And so I, I, uh, I was all caught up though and up to speed. I'd gotten all the earlier albums and, you know, totally internalized them. <laughs> uh, and then he put out, um, Planet Waves and then Blood on the Track and, Tracks and uh, and Desire. So I was in, I was I was on and and the and the Before the Flood live thing too. So I, I was able to get in there for by the by the time he was on to his second big, you know, uh, <laughs> I would say real high point. Uh, I was I was totally on board with it all then. So I've been up to speed ever since. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask you about because it was like, look, okay, if you're talking seventy three, seventy four. That's right before yeah. Blood on the Tracks, and I can't. I mean. I, uh, there, there's something that, uh, Dylan only, I guess this is true of anybody who loves a particular musician, but there is something incredibly special about when you know there's a new Dylan album coming out because just that level of anticipation is so huge. And, and I think the, 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 the album that Dylan had on the stands when I really got into him was, was Under the Red Sky, which is not really one of the great ones. There's no, still a lot not. of great stuff on it, sure, but it's yeah. not, it's no, it's no blood on the track. So, I mean, it I can't no imagine, you know, being a fan of Dylan and sort of getting into him and then, wow, oh, look, there's a new record. I wonder what this is about. Holy crap. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah that's, I, I will that's say, huge. I mean, I loved, um, I, I love Planet Waves too because, like, in, in a way, you're definitely not one of the, you know, not one of you know you'd put in maybe your top five or ten Dylan albums, but there's some great stuff on that and great you know oh, ensemble playing with the yeah. band and stuff like that. Um, but but as much as I liked it, it did not prepare me for Blood on the Tracks. That no, just I... came. I don't know where the heck that album came. Well, it came from a lot of pain, of course, but um, but uh, man. Oh man, that was just, I just couldn't, you know, it's one of those albums I could not listen to it enough. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was pretty thrilling, but it's, and it was so mystifying with, with that, um, that changing perspectives and points of views and the pronouns flipping all over the place on that album. You know, it's like, it was like a Picasso painting. You're just trying to find Mm -hmm, a way into mm -hmm. the songs and you start to travel into one direction. All of a sudden you deflect it and you're looking at it from another perspective. So there was some pretty amazing, I guess I call it storytelling technique going on in, in, in that album, which which was that was new to me, let alone the the musical settings and, and everything else. And, and just a different sort of way he was, again, using language, you know, as you say with Dylan, it's like every time he's got a new album coming out, you get a little bit of an adrenaline rush. And some of it's the fact that I have absolutely no idea what's what I'm going to be seeing this time, because right, you know, right, right. <laughs> he has been he has been as probably as, as changeable, if not more changeable than, than anybody else and, and unpredictable and all, all that stuff. Have you seen him live? Many times. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what my, you know, I, I've seen him lots of times. I've seen him, uh, back when I was living in New Jersey, I saw him a couple times there, but I'd seen him here in Portland. Um, one, I, some of the more memorable shows I saw was, was lucky enough to see him in 85 in an outdoor, in, in a stadium here in, in Portland where, uh, that was the tour when the, when uh, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were his opening band and then his back. Oh, band. wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was, that was a pretty great show. Uh, 
I saw him play on the tour and I guess that would have been 2001 when he was touring with mostly was a tour with Van Morrison and Joni Mitchell. Although the mm. show that I saw him play here, it was Van Morrison and Lucinda Williams was the opener for them. Ooh, um, that's a great, yeah. wow. What a great it combo. It was. And, and on that tour, uh, um, Dylan and, and Van sort of, as I understand, uh, alternated, you know, uh, where they would go in the set. The show that I saw, Van Morrison was the closing act. And um, I was mostly there for Dylan, of course, but I got to say, I got I got to give Van his due. He had that place. That was a, that was a, that was a tenth revival meeting by the time Van was done that show. <laughs> that guy really worked the crowd. He was on. I know they say that he can be sort of hit or miss, you know, he, when he, but he was, he was uh he was electrifying yeah so was dylan of course but uh uh van was quite the showman it was it was a great show that and lucinda was, was she was she was brilliant but really humbled like she got upset something along the lines of you know before she started seeing I, I don't i don't have any idea what i'm doing up here on stage with these two guys you know uh, <laughs> uh so she was i mean because you know she knows she she knows the hierarchy i guess <laughs> Oh, but that's show. yeah, that's that's a, that's an amazing combo. I I've seen I've only seen uh, Dylan with an opening act a handful of times. I, I saw him once with Cheryl Crow. That was really good because I like her. Mm-hmm. And I saw him once with Andy yeah. DeFranco. That was pretty good. But I mean, yeah, that's a that's a really amazing combo. That's that's really cool. Yeah, it was it was great. And uh, and then uh, another one of the shows that I liked the most was about uh, I think it was two thousand seven or eight. Um, and it just. He he just he just had a band. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to, um, or at least I'm happy to talk about a, a, a song like "Ain't Talking" is it's it's from the period where, uh, it, for my money, um, these albums, the the Jack Frost produced albums, the you know, and uh, from Love and Theft on, um, it, it's the best musical setting he's had for me as far as I'm the, the players he's playing with, the way the songs are arranged, and of course a lot of it's him since he's the producer um <laughs> i just love the musicianship that's going on in these songs and so i I've, I've been able to see him uh playing live with with these musicians and of course the personnel changes somewhat but he, he knows the sensibility i think the feel he wants and he gives the musicians room and most importantly i think and especially in a song like ain't talking it's a great example of how they give him room um there's a lot of room to breathe in these songs and a guy who has become such a master of of how to vocalize. Uh, there, uh, I don't know if you know, Richard Thompson is another great British singer songwriter. Um, I'm a little familiar with him, like shoot out the lights and stuff like that. So, yeah. 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 Um, but he one time said, you know, he was talking about the, the, the art of the craft of singing and how he's had to work at it himself. And, uh, but he, he said about Bob Dylan, you might not see that Bob Dylan's a great singer, but he's a great vocalist because he knows how to phrase things. So, so, so well, and so rivetingly and almost hypnotically, um, and that's easier to do when you're playing with the with a group that is that that is elastic and listens really well and can give you space to do things and stuff. That's the way I feel about him. I mean, I know that's a, that's a kind of a crazy statement to make because he's played with a band and he's played with great musicians in lots of settings. But what I find myself enjoying the most is listening to the ensemble playing of the groups he's played with um, since this, I guess you'd call it the more recent uh, era of Dylan songs. 
Oh yeah, I mean these four Jack Frost records, I think are. are I mean, I don't. I, I think the, actually the uh, the other the Sinatra ones are he produced as well, but I don't think mm-hmm. he's using he's not using the Jack Frost uh, pseudonym. But yeah, right. these four these four albums, uh, the you know Love and Theft and Modern Times and Together Through Life and then Tempest. Uh, that was one of the reasons I was so excited is that you you sent me a list of songs and then this one really stuck out because a it's from Modern Times, which is my favorite of the four right. of the Jack mm-hmm. Frost, and this song is just so. Interesting in that you know the 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 the, the soundscape and you just talked about that in, in terms of like the 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 background kind of that the musicians are giving him and it was, I should mention them here it's a uh, Denny Freeman on guitar of course of course Tony Garnier the yeah. the, the wonderful Tony Garnier <laughs> on bass and cello Donnie Heron playing steel guitar violin viola and mandolin Stu Kimball on guitar and George Rosselli on drums and percussion they set right. this sort of mood before Dylan actually sings and you it you can almost I almost feel like you can hear like this sort of windswept kind of dark road kind of thing and that's the that's the, what I picture in my head even before Dylan sings a single word and then he gets into yeah. the words and then I'm just picturing this guy walking this lonely road and it it paints such an amazing picture that and, and again and it's such a contrast to kind of what's on the rest of the album at that point that it's said it's a really a captivating i mean they're all captivating but this one is yeah really tremendous i mean why did you want to talk about it in particular uh, that's that's a really good question um it, it's someone might someone might say well does that mean that this is my favorite bob dylan song and i guess my answer that would be maybe when i'm listening to it <laughs> But right. then I could say that for about, you know, 150 other Bob Dylan songs. I, I don't really have a, a, a real list of them. Uh, it's too changeable, and there are too many things to recommend, lots of them. Um, but this is, a really, this is a really good one. And some of it is that, um, um, that, that the, the atmospherics of it that, that are such a good fit for it. You know, you were talking about the, the Lonely Road stuff. And I, what, I, what I think that the, the music begins to summon up for me is a uh, – like a foggy or you know a misty sort of um, like a, an old black and white movie that's <laughs> mm-hmm. with a lot of fog, um, uh, which I would think is be something that Dylan would probably uh, enjoy. That sort of he's a very noir sort of personality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I there's a lot of great songs on that album, and even a, even a, the more rocking ones like Thunder on the Mountain has that that sort of loping rhythm and, and pacing. And again, the musicians, even though that's a more higher end energy song there's still tons of room and breathing breathing space in between the lines for, for dylan to 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 do his lyrics and um but on, on ain't talking one of the things but there's a couple things about it one is it's got that that great uh the great lines um about how there you know uh ain't no altars on this long and lonesome road um i practice face it's long been abandoned and stuff and i i i think that's such a great it's a great sort of encapsulation of so much of Dylan's sensibility. I think, um, you know, he went through his, his sort of the born again phase and all that stuff that's been well documented and where he, where he stands right now seems a little bit more slippery to me. Um, I'm, I'm not, uh, um, I'm not in the firmest ground here now because I'm not a huge, you know, intense Dylan, um, uh, what, what, uh biographer, follower, historian, yeah, historian. Um, I know a lot about his history, and I've had a lot of history listening to the music and stuff. But I don't go in too much, too much into the minutia of what's going on in his personal life right now and stuff. I, I did some of that earlier, but now I sort of try to take the music more or less 
uh, as it comes and, and let it resonate as it will. Um, but those phrases, I mean, those lines there, and I think it's, this has been written about somewhere else too, the fact that I, I think that, f- f- well, for, for, for me, Dylan, uh, I had this little game I played with myself. For some of my favorite artists, uh, I've, uh, I've tried to come up with like one word or um, maybe one short phrase or concept that I think they're basically, they're about. If you look at the body of their work, they're about this. <laughs> uh, Hendrix, for me, it's like freedom. Um, the Springsteen, for me, it's about community uh, or connection. Um, you know, when you're, on, when you're born to run, he's trying to go, but he's trying to go someplace. He's trying to get to someplace, you know. Um, and with Dylan, uh, it's the word that, for me, seems to be the most consistent is authenticity or genuineness, maybe another word. Finding that internal truth that guides one. Hmm. Um, I, I think that he's followed that, which is one reason he's made albums all over the map. He's just going, following his, his nose, his instincts in some ways. And that's fine. But like he says in this song, uh, 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 what was the, there's a line about, uh, in the human heart, an evil spirit can dwell. We, we can, we can fool ourselves. Uh, and so having something to check ourselves with. Uh, I think that's one reason why he went into the the, the surety of faith for a long time, uh, because it's too easy to just slip into relativism and, and lose your way. Uh, but now he's at a point where he's practicing a faith that's long been abandoned. There ain't no altars on this long and lonesome road. He's still on a road, but... I think he's holding on to the rules a little more, li- a little more loosely. Does that make any sense to you? Absolutely, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I wanted to. And, when and, I, and that's that's what that's. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I said I just I, when recording the rest of the lyrics. I mean, I wanted to get to that specific uh, couplet because that I think that that line that series really jumps out of you. I mean, I started off with the first couple of verses, and he continues on, and he says, "Now I'm all, all worn down by weeping. My eyes are filled with tears. My lips are dry. If I catch my opponents ever sleeping." I'll just slaughter them where they lie, which is there's a lot of imp, imp, not even uh, more than implied violence in Dylan songs lately. There's a lot of that. And he's saying, ain't talking, yeah. just walking through this mere world, mysterious and vague, heart burning, still yearning, mm-hmm. walking through the cities of the plague. This whole world is filled with speculation. The whole wide world, which people say is round, they will tear your mind away from contemplation. They will jump on your misfortune when you're down. Ain't talking, just walking. Hand me down my walking cane. Mm-hmm. Heart burning, still yearning. Got to get you out of my miserable brain. And then he gets to the all my loyal and much loved companions. They approve me and share my code. I practice a faith that's been long abandoned. Ain't no altars on this long and lonesome road. And I, I mean, I think most people can relate to that to one level mm-hmm. or another. They have something that they're holding on to that most people don't think is important anymore. And not that I want right. to spend a lot of time pointing to uh, data points and say, well, this means this must mean something like this to you. But I have to say, I mean, this is a connecting ish- tissue that we have together. We both went to the Joe Kubert School. We both have comic books in our bloodstream. And you're, you've yeah. made quite a success at it. I mean, you do your own, you write and draw your own comic book trekker for anyone who doesn't know and i mean in a lot of ways you know the comic book industry is not what it once was in terms of being a major cultural influence and i think a lot of people that still do comic books could think of themselves and say i practice a faith that's been long abandoned i mean that's i think there's a lot of that in there you know <laughs> there there might be some of that that maybe that maybe it resonated with me on that level on, on a yeah. subconscious level or something like that. It could be, yeah. <laughs> but um 
Yeah, I just think that's, um, like I said, Dylan, as an artist, I mean, one of the things that uh, he definitely, you know, um, communicated a lot of stuff to me as a young man, listening to songs like, you know, Maggie's Farm and uh, um, It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only <laughs> Bleeding, um, which are songs that convey an awful lot of mistrust for the... the for the strictures, the boundaries that are placed on us, you know, the societal yes. expectations and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I ain't going to work on Maggie's farm no more, or, you know, <laughs> don't follow leaders, watch it, watch parking meters. Uh, yep. he, these are the ad, admission, uh, admonitions about sort of taking somebody else's word for it. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, you know, finding your own way. Um, and as, as an artist, we're all, incredibly i think uh, incredibly selfish in some way we're doing something that we're doing for us you know <laughs> individually first and foremost um and obviously hopefully you're doing at the same time make some sort of a connection or gives a little bit of an insight or something to to the because you want to you, you want to make a connection you want to have a communication going on there which means it has to have value for other people but i think you have to start by going inside yourself and what's what is value for you? And then that's what you bring to people. It's, 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 it's got to be that important, too. It's got to have that sense of urgency. Yeah, right. you're so, hoping um, that somebody is finding – right. You're, you're, you're conveying, hey, this is what's important to me. This is how I see whatever this thing is, and you're hoping somebody else feels the same way. Uh, and I mean, Dylan's been yeah. doing that forever. And Dylan, you know, you talk about Maggie's Farm and certainly don't follow leaders, watch your parking meters. I mean, I, I think one of the consistent things about him throughout his – career as a musician at least the at least the person who was singing is he's he's very suspicious of power structures uh, any yeah. of them you know whether they be governmental mm -hmm. or societal or in a relationship he's very very suspicious of people having power over someone else and sort of what they do with it and so i mean this this singer the guy who was walking this lonesome road and, and ain't talking he is seemingly pretty unmoored from everything you know i mean he really yeah. doesn't i mean and if you again if you really want to play connect the dots about saying his biography i mean this is a guy bob dylan who is 78 years old almost oh, yeah. um yeah he'll be 78 mm -hmm. in in may and he spends all of his time going from one town to the next traveling lonesome roads you know he's out there he's and as we <laughs> as what we know about him he does walk a lot of the i mean there's lots of photos of you know, some regular <laughs> yeah. street corner and there's just Bob Dylan just walking by and you're like, what? It's like he's like this weird, you know, like wandering spirit. And th this song has a darker tone to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I get and it, and it again uses old timey language. I mean, he goes on, he says, it ain't talking, just walking. My mule is sick. My horse is blind. Mm -hmm. Hard burn and still yeah. yearning. Think about that gal I left behind. It's bright in the heavens, and the wheels are flying. Fame and honor never seem to fade. The fire's gone out, but the light is never dying. Who says I can't get heavenly aid? Ain't talking, right. just walking. Carrying a dead man's shield. Heart burning, still yearning, walking with a toothache in my heel. I love the carrying a dead man's shield, because obviously that didn't do that guy any good. Uh, he's picking <laughs> up the dead man's shield. Um, yeah, so. but in a way that's I, in a way that sort of seems to me like it sort of re calls back to the practicing of faith that's long been abandoned. Right, I mean, right, to me, right, ca right. carrying a dead man's I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot has been made about the... I think there's like, you know, a lot of the lyrics in these songs, they come from a, from a stew that's made up of 
a lot of uh, elements of freedom, but three oh, that yeah. really stand out are, um, you know, biblical stuff, Old Testament stuff, uh, with that sort of grim and darkness and the cautionary tales or whatever, threatening tales even. And then um, ancient, you know, uh, the Homeric and, and I guess Ovid, the, you know, the ancient Roman writers, uh, carrying a dead man's shield, I don't know, but I, would, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if that's some reference to some, something like that. And that's like a sign of honoring, you know, I'm, I'm picking it up. It's almost like carrying the, after the, the flag has, you know, been, the, if the flag bearer has been uh, uh, shot down, then you pick up the flag and you keep moving forward, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with it. Um, and then, of course, things like, uh, you know, uh, hand me down my walking cane, the old blues songs and old folk songs and stuff. So I think those, right, those right. Great, source, great sources, just, Dylan just dips into those and throws in the line that, that seems in some way to capture a little bit of the essence or, or, or fit the, the mood of Tony's going for. Um, um, it's, it's Dylan's, Dylan's very interesting to me in that um, I mentioned earlier Leonard Cohen and, and I was, Talking to somebody said, you know, Cohen, you know, came from an academic background and was was a poet. So every word, every line is carefully crafted and thought out, and and the the each each uh, stanza or verse is is crafted and sculpted very meticulously. And it and I don't know Dylan's process, but um, I mean, there are stories that back in his early days, he would just sit down at the typewriter in Greenwich Village, just hammering stuff away and just spewing out of him. And my my impression is the way it feels to me that Dylan does it is much more, I want to say intuitive, but I don't want to make that I don't want to make that sound like I'm trying to discount it. It's like he's got this right. great depth of all of these. You know, he reads all the damn time, right? And he's just got all this stuff, and he somehow miraculously seems to be able to retain retain it, and so he can sort of access it spontaneously. I don't I don't think it's all. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound wrong, but I think he probably just puts a lot of that stuff out there, and then he goes back to to craft it and, and change a line here, change a line there, or alter it here. Um, he, he he's doing that for certain reasons, but I, I you know I don't think he's trying to necessarily tighten everything down uh, so that it's so that it's just absolutely pristine and perfect in this one form. I think I think I remember I listened to you guys talking. And I, I, Listen to the episode where you guys are talking about the song "Born in Time." Oh, right, right. A little while ago, and 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 to me, that phrase "Born in Time" is is it goes back to the the idea that before we're born, we're living in the timeless zone, and when we're born into this world, we're in the 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 temporal world where everything is in decay and everything is falling apart, and and that's. So the world is full of woes and all that sort of stuff, um, and religion is supposed to try to help us answer that. Um, where was I going with all this stuff? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly. But uh, he, he's—I I think that he's—he uh, sees the world as, as, as a shifty sort of place. I, I love the way. One thing that I loved uh, about the uh, when the albums came out, like um, Love and Theft and Modern Times, is I could find on on CDs and stuff. You could find. Um, bonus tracks that had like live cuts and uh that i guess he called them field recordings so it was like sort of you know more the legitimate bootlegs or whatever <laughs> and that's when i really started to know some of the the great playing uh, players he was playing with and i'm also i will say i'm also a big uh fan of of springsteen and and i was comparing the way that these two guys go about a live show uh when i'm at a springsteen show i get the the feeling that he is trying to do the best definitive version of this song <laughs> right now. 
and he's just trying to hit this maximum height all the time. And I think what Dylan does, he sits up there with his band, and it's like he just like sort of spinning it new, making it up as he goes along. And sometimes you capture this magical golden thing, and everything just coalesces it, and it's awesome. And sometimes it's a bit of a train wreck. Um, but but he's, he's, he's sort of walking on an edge there. And, you know, for him, he's so engaged in the moment of it that trying to, again, trying to find the definitive, finalized, you know, tightened down version of it. I don't think that's his bag. I, I, no, I don't. No. I mean, um, but, but that's not to take away from the, the fact that he, he, I'm sure he crafts these songs wonderfully, but I just don't think he over edits them, maybe is one way to put it, or over produces the, the words, let alone the, you know, when it goes down to recording things. There's, um, there's a, uh, there's a, I'd like to say about, oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. I would just say one, one thing that, um, that I like about, uh, I, there, I think I read this line in some, uh, review in Rolling Stone or something like that, but they said, Dylan's practiced the art of learning how to sing without a voice or something like that. <laughs> By now his voice is pretty shot, you know, um, not that it was ever exactly a thing of great beauty, I don't think, but, um, but but the way he learns to phrase things and stuff and like a song like this um ain't talking um you know it, it has this sort of hypnotic almost uh like an in, incantation or a chant like sort of quality to it and his his voice never raises and lowers a whole lot so it's almost just like this sort of chant but he he produces each phrase with such intensity and precision and the inflections uh are but to me, just it's as riveting as, as, as you know, as uh, you know, like a Rolling Stone, which is a whole different kind of energy level, and everything like that. But his attention to the 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 way he's expressing these words, uh, I just think I'm just hanging on every line, um, not knowing where it's going to come from, and the way that he expresses it with his inflection, just you just you just keep you just keep hanging in there with him. I just think it's 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 irresistible. I think. Um, I've done a little bit of, uh, I do a little bit of playing. Uh, uh, I'm not a great guitar player, but I can play enough to hit the chords and I play with other musicians who know what they're doing sometimes. And whenever we're per- performing Dylan songs, I just I just feel about them that um, the, the, the chord structures, the melodies, and the words that he uses to put them together, they just feel great come in your mouth when you're when you're forming them it, it, you can just sort of breathe them and see the the, the melodies and the the, the 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 where the vowels fall and where the verb is falling and stuff it just um it's uh it's a pleasure to to perform this stuff and that comes i think a lot of that just in innate in him you know it just it's the way he is uh, although there's so many things I want to comment on what you just said, I'm going to try to keep it all straight in my mind. <laughs> One is I will say about the, your comment about like where Springsteen, you feel like Springsteen is, is trying to hit the most perfect version at any given moment. And I, I agree with that. I like, I'm a big fan of, of, of Bruce too, but, uh, but there's a, there's a, I don't want to say famous story cause it's only known by real Dylan nerds, but there's a story about where he was talking with, um, Larry Ratso Sloman, that friend of his from the, the Rolling Thunder oh. days. <laughs> And there was something about mm-hmm. where apparently Sloman had heard the Desire album and said to Bob, maybe you should consider re-recording the whole record because the performances that you're doing out on the Rolling Thunder tour are so much better. And apparently Dylan's response uh-huh. was something to the effect, ah, come on, Larry, just another album. 
You know, and like so that was his point yeah. of view. That was like, it's just another outlet. Yeah. Calm down. This, 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 this is not meant to be permanent. This is just the versions I recorded at that moment, and then it's out. now. On the one hand, you could say, well, that comes from a very privileged place. That that yeah, someone yeah, like only that can Bob Dylan could have that casual yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of musicians have to make that friggin' album count because if it bombs, they're never getting another one. <laughs> Bob Dylan doesn't have to worry about totally. that. But nevertheless, but that is that. I think that that comment is very instructive about his point of view. That it's just like, look, mm-hmm. this. That's the version that was in my mind and was the best I could do on that night on May mm-hmm. of 1975. That has nothing to do yeah. with the version I'm doing here in Portland, Oregon, you know, in mm-hmm. November of whenever. That it just to him, it's almost like there's no connection, which is a very interesting way of, of going about it. Um, yeah. And, and again, I think that's because he, 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 he embraces a sort of the, the, whatever you want to call it, the impermanence uh, or the, yes. the immediacy of a moment. It's like, now is now. Now is yes. like two years yes. ago. Now I'm not in the recording studio. Now I'm performing with these guys now. And there's some people out there. Uh, with, with him, I always get the, the feeling that he's up there on the stage. He's making that music to make music with him and this group of people. And yep. the people out in the audience, you know, you know he says, you can, cut, you can take it or leave it. I really, you know, he's not indifferent to it. I'm sure on some level he wants everybody to love him, who we all do. But I think the his priority is on we're making this music now. And I've, I know I've heard comments about him where he'd say uh, to the effect of, you know, that was one of my best shows and the audience they just didn't get it. And sometimes the audience seems to go wild for the stuff that he think is, eh, you know, it was another mm-hmm. night. So he's, he's got his own agenda, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a couple of things about like how this song borrows lines from different things. You mentioned Ovid. Uh, and the, the 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 final line in this song, uh, where he sings, "Ain't talking, just walking up the road around the bend, heart burning, still yearning." In the last outback at the world's end, yeah. that line, "The last outback at the world's end," is from an Ovid poem. Yeah. Uh, so he took it right from there. And then the line about "Hand me down my walking cane," as you just mentioned, is from a folk song. And then the the the, the chorus, the "Up the road around the bend, heart burn, still yearning," is from a song called "The Highway of Regret." by Don Anthony and Ralph Stanley. And Ralph Stanley was one of Dylan's heroes. In fact, he recorded with Ralph Stanley, and he mm-hmm. uh, they did a song together, and he said it was the greatest moment of my professional career was to record <laughs> with Don Stanley. But I'm... And I don't think anyone's ever asked him this, which is amazing, considering how many billions of words have been yeah. spilled about this man. But I'm like, I would love to know, does he have all this stuff in his head, or does he research it? You know what I mean? Like, when he's writing Ain't Talking... Does he say, I want to kind of get a line and does he dig out lyric books or does he just have all of this in his head? Because if, if, if the latter is true, then my God, when he finally passes from view, you know, when he becomes lost. Well, well, yeah, I mean, this guy is a walking jukebox of of American music and more of the last hundred years and more. I mean, when he goes, it's all going to be gone. How many people know this stuff anymore? Billy Bragg or something? There's not too many people left. He's he's practicing a fate that's been long abandoned. (laughs) Yeah, and and I, I... Again, I don't know his 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 process. I don't know if he when he's writing these things, he's uh, maybe sometimes he's in his uh, his home office or whatever. And he's got you know bookshelves lined with things, or maybe he's Googling, <laughs> Can you imagine what that must look like. <laughs> but I, right, but I'm guessing that's not the case because you know there there are there are anecdotal stories of of him in this in the studio, like sitting down at the piano, or whatever, and he's got pencil and he's scribbling out lines right yep. then. Yep. So I I and I'm thinking a lot of those lines are. And, and as as a as an artist myself, I know when I'm designing a, a drawing or or writing a script, and I've got to come up to a new scene, or I need another line for this character, 
it comes out of my imagination. What's my imagination? It's nothing except the stuff that's been put into me. You know, TV shows I've watched, uh, a line I heard somebody say on a radio uh, five years ago, uh, somebody I saw walking down the street, a movie I saw, a comic book I read 15 years ago. That <laughs> stuff stays in us. And um, and so I can only pull out of my, my own internal visual library X number of shots of a person posing to if they're running or throwing a punch or winding a watch or whatever it is, you know. Um, and most of the time, that's what I work from, uh, the stuff that's already in me. And I just pull out whatever whatever I can access. And so why, my suspicion is a lot of times that's at least where Dylan starts, by pulling out stuff that, that he sort of trusts his intuition. This is going to fit here. Why? How? I don't know. But I just think it is. And then he might go back. <laughs> and like as he's working as he's working in rehearsal with the band, he might say, ah, that line, it doesn't feel right. Either, like I said, it just doesn't feel right coming out of his mouth with the, the the musical shape of that line or he figures maybe I need to put that line elsewhere. So I need a different line here. Um, but, but I suspect that, that he has just got a miraculous ability to access a wider or a deeper library <laughs> than most of us have. Uh, it's unreal. That's my, that's my guess. And yeah. it is, it does make him kind of a unique treasure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's unreal. And so, so the, 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 as the song wraps up, I, we talked about the last line, but he says the suffering is unending Every nook and cranny has its tears. I'm not playing. I'm not pretending. I'm not nursing any superfluous fears. Imagine being a nimble enough singer to work the word superfluous in a yeah. song and have it not sound <laughs> exactly, completely yeah. horrible. And he ain't talking, just walking, mm-hmm. walking ever since the other night, heart burning, still yearning, walking till I'm clear out of sight. As I walked out in the mystic mm-hmm. garden on a hot summer day, a hot summer lawn, excuse me, ma'am, I beg your pardon. There's no one here. The gardener is gone. And then he said he ends it with, Ain't talking, just walking mm-hmm. up the road around the bend, heart burning, still yearning, and the last out back at the world's end. And so at the end of the song, you've got this very dark journey. It seems everything is just desolate. The gardener is gone. He's walking till he's clear out of sight. And yet, the, and then the music kind of has this ominous buildup. And then at the very end, there's this sort of shimmery major chord at the end. It resolves which seems, to the major. Yeah, exactly. it resolves yep. to this major chord. And it sort of leaves you on a kind of up note at the end of the song, which is very, very strange, but in, I find weirdly comforting because it's like after you've well, been here, taken through this dark journey, all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute, I think the sun's peeking out. Yeah, well, here's the thing about that. And, uh, and I'm a storyteller. That's my, I, I, I figure that if you're a comic book artist, your real job is a storyteller. That's what our job is. And 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 one of the things you do as a storyteller is if you want to get to like a surprise twist at an ending, um, you have to play fair with your reader up until that point. Meaning you've right. got to plant clues earlier in your story so that when you get to that surprise ending, they go, oh, wow. And they say, oh, yeah. But when I look back, I see how it makes sense. And in this song, like you, you quoted a line earlier, the fire has gone out, but the light is never dying. Mm-hmm. Who says I can't? In the aid, there's 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 that hope there, man, and so he's taken this song that's it's that dark misty thing, like I said, the garden is gone at the beginning, the flowers are wilting on the vine or whatever, but then it ends on that major chord of of whatever you want to call it, hope or um um, um resolution, uh, uh, reclamation, maybe uh, restoration. Um, I I think that if you think that. You're born into the world of time, of woes and pain. You can you're gonna go out of it maybe to something better. I don't know if he feels that you can get that resolution and 
piece here. Uh, uh, again, I don't want to speak to what his particular philosophical, religious <laughs> out, out, outlook at the moment might be, but I, but I, but I certainly see the song seems to be pointing like that. That's what it seems to suggest to me that that he's going for here. Um, yeah, it's. I said it's it's real, and it's a remarkable way to wrap up the album. And and you're right, you're right. I love the, yeah. the way he does. He does kind of plant those clues because yeah, he says you know, I, I, who says I can't get heavenly aid? And when you first hear the line, uh, when you're first hearing the song, it sounds almost like it's mocking. You know, like who says <laughs> I can't get heavenly aid? And then you realize no, he's actually being serious. You know, he's he's taking it serious. And and again, the line about uh, you know, I'm I'm pressing practicing a faith that's long abandoned. It's mm-hmm. It's it's raging against the dying of the light, you know, and it's the fact <laughs> yeah. that it's, it's what he's doing, and it's really very interesting. And I said it's it's incredibly ambitious. Now, have you? I assume you've heard the alternate version that was released on the Bootleg series. Oh yeah, on the um, uh, Telltale Telltale Signs, signs right? Now yeah, that has yeah. some some different words to it, and it's funny. The sound of that one is very different. That the version on Telltale Signs, I think, would have actually sounded uh pretty pretty uniform if you'd put it on time out of mind to me it sounds more daniel and wah mm-hmm. than the one on modern times and i i think the one on modern times is superior but i do want to mention some of the words in this alternate version because there are some some other verses here of course sure. good lord the man could just crank out these words um there's two <laughs> verses here where he says ain't talking just walking all rails leading to the west heart burning still yearning i'm gonna throw myself upon your loving breast it's the first new day of a grand and glorious autumn. The queen of love is coming across the grass. None may call her anything but madam. No one flirts with her, nor even makes a pass. Ain't talking, just walking, standing outside the gates of wrath. Heart burning, still yearning, take a little trip down the primrose path. Now I got the worst old feeling, and it's getting stronger. I'm going out with a couple of fellows. I'm beginning to crack. I won't stay out any longer. I'll avenge my father's death and I'll step back. So again, it's like that, just those two verses send you in this whole other world of like, whoa, okay, there's a lot here to unpack. And I, I find it interesting that in the alternate lyrics, he mentions autumn. And then in the regular song, mm-hmm. you're talking about spring, you're talking about summer. I mean, he's, there's, it's, I can't help but feel like this is, again, this is Bob Dylan, the touring artist. This is a guy who has seen every corner of the globe under every possible situation, you know, winter, summer, spring. I mean, he's just seen it all at this point. Yeah, yeah. And there's, even alternative lyrics, there's just the sense of um, that, that uh, you're sort of walking and you can get tripped up at any second. You know, mm-hmm. you take a little trip down the, down the primrose path. We all know where that leads. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a disaster. Um, uh, so it's a, it's like a, it's like almost every moment is a high stakes gamble for for your your integrity, for your uh, for whatever your immortal soul, um, for that authenticity. You know, living. It's so easy to compromise that stuff to have it uh, tricked away from you. Um, uh, what's the line about uh, in the song about um, they will tear your mind away from contemplation? Contemplation, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, the the thing where you're you are you're putting your constant, you're meditating on on your truth or or your your higher goals or whatever, um, and it's so easy to be tempted away from that by you know the the the, the shiny pretty baubles or the loud threatening things or the shoulds of society that the way you should behave or the amount of money you should be making or whatever it might be. Um, so that, that clinging to that, uh, 
long and lonesome road without any altars on the right. That's, that's a damn scary proposition. It's a damn scary proposition, which is probably why he sounds so damn tired in the song. It's got to be exhausting, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he said, I can't imagine, again, in this age of uh, there's so much to to eat away at your at, at your time, whether it be social media or podcasts or TV or you know. There's, I mean, it's kind of. I'm sure you've I'm sure you've experienced this, Ron. Somebody comes to you and says, "Have you watched you know X TV show?" And you're like, uh, "No, I've yeah. never even heard of it." And they're like, "Oh, you have to watch it." And you're like, "There's only so many hours in a day, you know. There's not, like totally. I have to have oh, time I mean, to spend with my terrible. relatives and work on things and eat and think and and walk around. I can't spend, you know, like." There's only so much time in a day, and I can't imagine being Bob Dylan and having to find the time in your day to just sit and write a song and get away from all of this churn. <laughs> there's, a, there's a line in uh, uh, one of the songs from uh, Slow Train coming, uh, um, ain't, ain't trying to amuse anybody, I don't want to be amused. You know, he, yeah, he's yeah. not... <laughs> he's not just effing around, you know, to, to, to uh, he's, he's, he's deadly serious about this sort of stuff, and he's not here trying to just give us uh, or to get for himself just some sort of um, mindless distraction. Right. Uh, yep. uh, this this stuff is not. It's it, he ain't playing, as he says. Right. And, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, the, the the thing about the distractions of this world, it's I'm in a I'm in a terrible situation in that I have this wonderful studio full of cartoonists here in Portland that I'm a member of. The the, the, the terrible thing about it is just that these people are all you know curious and creative and engaged. And they're always finding amazing new TV series like on Netflix where you could watch, you know, you can binge 14 hours at a time. With, so they're always they're always hitting me with exactly the question. Hey, have you seen this yet? And and I've got this list as long as both of my arms of, of, of shows that I need to watch and I'll never catch up. And they just right, right. It's like it's like a blizzard. They they just keep they just keep piling up on me. And every morning I get up and said, yeah, there's another foot of snow out there. I'm never going to. You know, up to speed with the. I'm never going to be on the cutting edge of culture anymore. It's just, I just, right, right. just scramble on to try to find the stuff that that maybe uh, maybe has the lasting value. Which is, you know, um, not to get too <laughs> highfalutin here, but that's when you find uh, somebody like Dylan, who, whose work seems to be able to resonate for me and has been for basically my entire life from the cusp of becoming an adult to now as I may <laughs> be getting towards that, that autumn he's talking about in my life. I don't know. I hope I got another 20 years, 30 good years in me, but you know, uh, he's, uh, his, his music has never tired for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that, of course, is he's got such a vast body of work and it's so varied that, um, that if I, if, if I feel like I've listened to, you know, blood on the tracks for long enough, then I'll just dip into, I'll, I'll listen to Oh Mercy a half a dozen times or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, but there, there are some, there are some artists that are going to endure. Um, and, and some are going to be great for a five-year period where they're speaking to where we're at right now, you know, but we are born in time and that five-year period will go away. <laughs> and, and, that amusement will no longer serve. Uh, and then you go on to the next sort of transitory thing. Um, and, and, but, but some artists are more, um, to me, uh, are just more evergreen, I guess, for, for lack of a better phrase. And because their, their intentions, they're, they're putting their contemplation on something <laughs> that I think uh, maybe, get, maybe goes a little bit deeper. Um, and uh, gosh, I don't know if you, if you read this probably you did, yeah, being a big Dylan guy. But I think it was Bono from U2 who was uh, writing a, a short tribute to Dylan uh, years ago. And he said, you know, everybody 
uh, at least of a certain certain era, and I was of that era, the the Dylan that you have the most vivid image you might have of him is that firebrand guy in the mid '60s who seemed like he was just inventing brand new stuff all over the place. But Dylan's longer uh, history is he is very much a traditionalist. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 people that he reveres are those old itinerant traveling blues musicians and folk musicians and that's the faith that's the faith that he's really practicing and you were talking about how that's what he does he he wanders around the world now he has become he has become the blind willie mctell or whatever he's become that blues musician who just goes around and plays from one venue to another venue and that is his life and that's that's his statement that's what he offers us and that's he probably fell in love with that that romantic idea back when he was a kid, and that's what he's living out today. I, I that that feels <laughs> that feels like Dylan to me. That's <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing thing that it said at such young an age he sort of saw this road for himself, and he's been on it ever since. And uh, it's it's really remarkable. And speaking of the road, I do want to mention this before we wrap up is uh, live. He has sung this song 118 times. Between 2006 and 2013, <laughs> so he hasn't done it in a little while. That's not that's not that many times, but you also realize it's a very long song. It's about seven minutes. It's pretty dark. I imagine it it, in, yeah. in a concert form, it may not be the the, the you know the, necessarily what people want to hear or whatever. Although he never really concerns himself too much about that. So it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a song that he will pull out every so often, but it's it's probably something that will mostly just live off of the the modern times record. And uh, I've never heard a live version, as far as I know, but I. I would love to hear it to see what it, imagine what it sounds like. It's probably very, very different in, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, it's a, it's a masterpiece I'm, I'm, of a I'm song. Guessing, I'm guessing he, I'm guessing he'd turn it into a polka live. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's a little bit of entirely possible. With him, you know, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put it anything past him. He'd say, "Well, maybe this will work tonight." You know, because maybe so. sometimes yeah. I get a feeling that's and, what he does, which is part of the thrill of him. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, you're know. right. It's not. It's not one of those songs that that lends itself. It's not going to be one that's going to get everybody up dancing in the aisles. And yeah. Um, you know, but uh, that doesn't mean it's not a great song. <laughs> it is. It's an absolutely fantastic song, and I am yeah. absolutely thrilled that we had a chance to talk about it. And I'm, I'm, I decided to save this little comment to you for the end of the show because I don't want to embarrass you. But I mean, we talked about that we both attended the Joe Kubert School, and you know, like I was familiar with your work when I was a teenager. I don't want to make you feel super old, but <laughs> I was, okay. I, you know, but I, like, I read that, you know, like uh, Neil Gaiman the other day talked about how much that issue of Swamp Thing that you drew was important to him. And you were like, oh, my Lord. Yeah. And I felt the same way. I love that issue of Swamp Thing that you did. That's a great, And so you were someone <laughs> whose work I was familiar with when I was younger. I always liked your stuff. And when I knew that you had gone to the Cupid School and I was like, wow, I felt like it was it. I was I was like, this is cool that I get to go and wander the same halls of people whose work I like. <laughs> and you were one of those people. So I am Man, really yeah. I, I am again not done complimenting you, Ron. Yeah, slow down. I am <laughs> I am really really uh, honored that you were here to do my show with me because this is my little effort, and so I'm just thrilled that I got a chance to talk to you about something else that we love together that has nothing to do with comic books or anything like that. So <laughs> I really thank you for doing this. Well, thanks so much, Rob. That's very kind of you to say, and uh, it's you just never know when you, I, I did that because. It was a great gig to have at the time, and I knew it. But you, you do something like that, you never know what uh, who it's going to touch. I, it was really amazing to me to read that that tweet from uh, from Neil. So, uh, and it's great to know that it uh, meant something to you too. I, I just very, I feel very fortunate that I've been able, kind of like Dylan in a way that it, only insofar as when I was young, I also found something in my case, comic books, that um, 
uh, I can't explain why or how, but I just I just started drawing them and I never stopped. And uh, and I, I I've, I've sort of grown up to have the <laughs> the 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 life. I said, wouldn't it be cool to be a comic book artist uh, when I was a kid? Never think I had a chance of being one. So I've had some really lucky breaks and uh, uh, I'm very grateful for it. So thank you very much. Well, we'll tell everybody where they can find you on the internet. Um, you can find me. Uh, uh, you can find me at ronrandall.com. I'm on Twitter at just Ron underscore Randall. Um, and uh, my comic is Trekker, uh, T-R-E-K-K-E-R. And you can find that at trekkercomic.com. Uh, so those are just some good places to start. Fantastic. And we'll have that link in the show notes. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And, of course, you want to subscribe to the show, you can subscribe to it on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can listen to back episodes there, plus on the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we were always talking, uh, Bob Dylan, over on uh, Twitter, which is at uh, pod underscore Dylan. And before we sign off, I once again, I have to thank uh, the Sutherlands for for playing matchmaker and getting uh, Ron and I together. They are just such amazing people. And uh, I really said this. I owe them one. For, for being able to do this because this was just great and thank goodness you sent that tweet when you did and I saw it when I did uh, you never know the, they never know the connections you make with people but uh, sometimes Twitter can be a force for good and so in this case it was and and so and thanks to that tweet I've had a chance now to talk to you and Gabriel Harbin which has again been an honor so thank you again so much for doing the show I really appreciate it thanks everybody for listening and uh, until the next episode take it easy bye Pardon. There's no 